The Word of God says, But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. In that second line of that verse, I want to take my thought this morning for this purpose. For this purpose. God bless you as you're seated. In Jesus' name. So the Lord directed my thoughts toward this morning. It's almost as if we're, we're going to have a church history lesson for a little while. The early church started, as we all know, in the book of Acts. The early church at its inception had attracted a lot of attention. You see, the early church loved the Lord and each other. The early church lived their faith daily. The early church served God by taking care of those around them. And the early church was actively involved in achieving the purpose that God had given to them. They loved, they lived, they served, they achieved. They loved, they lived, they served, they achieved. Lives were being changed, miracles were being done, and favor had been seen. Look at how Luke recorded it. Luke was the church historian, and Luke recorded it this way in Acts 2.42. He said, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders were done. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You flip over after the first miracle of the church in Acts chapter 3 when the lame man at the gate beautiful was raised up and walked, went walking and leaping into the temple praising God. It brought about a revival. It brought about a, a renewing of, of even more. It brought about an action, actually, of, of greater things, even, even greater things than had been of happening. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, after this lame man was healed, the Bible says, The multitude of them that believed were of one heart, of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. In Acts chapter 5, you go on a little bit further as Luke gives us some of the history. In Acts chapter 5 verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. They didn't have their own building. They were just meeting at the temple. They were all with one accord on Solomon's porch. And of the rest, durst no man join himself to them. But the people magnified them 
Around Jerusalem, the town folks were talking about these believers. And the believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. That is, that influence of the presence, the power and the authority of God. Just the, the presence was going to cause a difference in lives. There, all, there came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. It shouldn't be strange to us to think that God wants to do great things in His church. Shouldn't be a strange thought. It shouldn't really catch anybody off guard when the bishop gets up here and talks about thousands of people being being changed by the power of God. It shouldn't it shouldn't cause any kind of well that sounds weird thought to come into the mind of a spirit-filled believer when they talk about miracles and signs and wonders. None of that stuff should be weird to us because this is how we started. This is who we are. They saw this, though, in the early church, and this favor, this grace, this popularity, the favor of the community, the grace of God that was upon them, the popularity of that region of the church also received a different kind of attention. A move of the Holy Spirit will cause a revival that you might not expect. If you're not looking for it. Because while we have revival, there's another realm that also stirs up for revival. And a move of the Holy Spirit will cause a revival that you might not expect. It stirred up some things in another realm. There were some spiritual things from the other side that began to get stirred up. Y'all with me? While the Spirit of God is moving and bringing about deliverance and bringing about healings and bringing about favor and bringing about grace, over here there's something else that begins to get stirred up and say we need to put a stop to that. We need to rise up against it. We need to come against what God is doing. When we look at the early church and as we take a brief history lesson Let me remind you of this, that God did not give them power just to make them comfortable. God did not call them to join the chill squad. God didn't commission them to just hang around the building. God let them know that not everyone is going to like what the Lord is doing. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 5 verse 17, Then the high priest rose up and all that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. While the church was filled with the Holy Ghost, there's another group that's filled with indignation. And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. In other words, it doesn't matter who gets indignant toward what you're doing. You're not here to keep people's feelings pacified. You just go right back out there and you begin preaching like you always have been preaching. And they went back to preaching Jesus.
the officers that were the keepers of the jail went down to feed them lunch. I don't know what it was. The Bible doesn't fill in that gap. Just said they went down there and found that they were gone. They found them gone from prison. Brother Stoney Bray last week at the hospital said, if you get arrested for this, I'll go to prison with you. Well, I'm kind of hoping if we go to jail together that we'll just end up getting broke out of jail by the angels. I kind of like that part of the story. They went back to preaching Jesus where they had been preaching Jesus. And the officers found that they weren't in their cell. Somebody came and said, well, they're back out there preaching. And so the officers went over to re-arrest them. And this time they didn't beat them down and take them by force. There was no police brutality over, over this situation. They just kind of gently grabbed them and said, would you please come with me? So they brought them into the Sadducees and brought them before the council, the Bible says. And the council, the leaders, those that are in charge, the civic authorities looked at them and said, didn't we tell you to quit preaching? And Peter and the rest of the apostles looked at them and they said, we ought to obey God rather than man. Let me just tell you this, we've not got to this point, but I want to go on record on this day on January the 24th of 2021. And I want to say from behind this pulpit as pastor of this church and as the messenger that God has placed here for this hour. If the command from our Lord is in violation to civic authorities, we choose to obey the command of the superior and that is our Lord. I got a text last night to just, uh, I just had to t- share this with y'all. It blessed my soul. One of our church, one of the mothers here in the church, young mothers raising some young kids. The oldest of the kids is 11 years old. And so this is a quote from that text. Having a convo with the kids, if y'all don't know what convo means, that means conversation. That's text talk for conversation. Having a convo with the kids, and Kenley said, I hope Joe Biden knows He's going to have to get the FBI to get rid of our church because Pastor David ain't never going to let that happen. And then the text ended with, that's the kind of support you have. I'm not up here to, to raise a ruckus. I'm not up here talking against things that aren't. But I'm just here to say there comes a time that you say the line's been drawn and this is it. And we stand up for what the Word of God says. I'm here to preach. I'm here to declare. I'm here to bring the gospel. That's what you're here for. In Acts 5.29, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. And then Peter didn't just let it drop. Peter goes on to say, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus. And he looked at them and said, Y'all are the ones that hung him on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they took counsel to slay them. 
Then stood up there one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law. He had a great reputation among the people. And he, he said, let's put them out for a minute. Let's talk a bit. And he said unto the council in verse 35, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up, Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves. He was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. And after this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing, and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. So he's given them an example from their own history that these guys tried an insurrection, it came to nothing. This other guy tried an insurrection, it came to nothing. And so in verse 28, he, or verse 38, he said, Now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to nothing. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest helplessly you be found to fight against God and to him they agreed and when they had called the apostles and beaten them they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go and they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name and daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ Acts chapter 6, the church continued to grow. The deacon ministry was started. Acts chapter 7, one of these spirit-filled deacons that was led of the Holy Ghost, his name was Stephen, had a powerful ministry. He got arrested. He became the first martyr of the church. Acts chapter 8, Saul of Tarsus came into prominence. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 1, Saul was consenting unto his death. That's the death of Stephen. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. I'm not going to read you the rest of the book of Acts. Some of you are setting in like I'm about to start doing that. I'm not going to do that. But I want to, I want to bring this out. I kind of gave you that first part of the book of Acts of the activity of the church there in Jerusalem from where it all started. When Jesus came to this earth, when Jesus was walking here with his disciples, calling his apostles, Jesus had let them know in Matthew chapter 16 that he was going to build a church. So Jesus had determined that he was going to build a church. And he said it will be built on the rock. On this rock, the rock represented truth. On this rock, I will build my church. That indicates it's going to be stable. That indicates it's going to be enduring. I believe this was also an indication of what Nebuchadnezzar envisioned over in Daniel. When he, when he saw that rock that was hewn out of the mountain without man's hands. And Jesus also goes on to tell them that the authority of hell is not going to be able to prevail against my church. 
He also established that the church would be empowered. Acts 1.8 But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. He also determined that his church would reach the uttermost part of the earth. And on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, God's plan went into effect. And when God's plan goes into effect, it will not be altered. Did y'all hear that? When God's plan goes into effect, it will not be altered. When Gamaliel stood in the council there in Acts chapter 5 and said, If this be of God, you're helplessly going to fight against it. If it be a man, it's going to end up coming to nothing anyway. And here we are a couple of thousand years removed from that. And the church of today across the world, every two weeks, the events of the book of Acts is replicated. There are thousands of people, continue, are y'all with me? Thousands of people being filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in the name of the Lord. Miracle signs and wonders taking place. Every couple of weeks, it repeats itself. God's got this thing on repeat. And when God said it's going to go into the whole world, I'm telling you, we're about three countries shy of what we know of, that the gospel has been preached in every known tribe and nationality on the face of this earth. I'm telling you, you're a part of the church triumphant that's built by the living God. But here as we go on into this, I want you to see something. God showed me this, and I'm not going to preach much longer unless I end up preaching much longer. But God showed me this. That God God just has a way of turning the greatest threat into the greatest asset. So here we are in Acts chapter 8 of Saul. Y'all hearing me? I'm telling somebody a word from the Lord today. Here we are where Saul now oversaw the stoning to death of Stephen, the first martyr. Saul had authority in his hands, papers, documents that authorized him to gather up all the Christians that he could gather up, bring them back bound to Jerusalem and put them on trial. And let them face execution because they were insurrectionists. But what you see in the story of Saul is that God took the greatest threat to the church and turned it into the greatest asset. And what Satan means for evil, God has a way of saying, hey, let me handle it. And turns around and turns that back into good. Some of y'all are all worried about what's happening right now. Some of you need to wake up and realize that we're not up here just blowing smoke when we say this is the greatest hour of the church. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. What matters is what's being preached in the church house. And you're going to continue to hear the truth of the Word of God. Acts chapter 9 verse 1. And Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughtered. Against the disciples of the Lord, he went into the high priest and desiring of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. He just oversaw the first execution, the first martyr of the church. He just witnessed it. He had civil authority. 
to witness it. And now he's got papers, warrants in his hand that if you find anybody that's up this way, you have the right to put them in shackles and bring them back to Jerusalem. So here he goes. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth. And he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And Saul, who was trained in Old Testament scripture, and Saul, who knew that he was having an encounter with God, when Saul who thought he was doing God a service, was knocked to his feet by the brightness of the light. And he heard a voice saying, Why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, Who art thou, Lord? Because he knew it was the Lord. He knew it was the I Am. He knew it was the Jehovah. He knew it was the mighty God. And when he said, Who art thou, Lord? He got the shock of his life when the voice of the Lord said, I am Jesus. I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? And and the Lord said, Arise and go into the city. And it's going to be told you what you must do. Jump down to verse 9. He was about three days without sight. He didn't eat or drink. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. and and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, Behold, here am I, Lord. And the Lord said, Get up and go into the street which is called Straight and ask in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. Because he's praying. And he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him and he's going to receive his sight. And Ananias said, oh Lord, I've heard about him. How much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. You know what this would be like? This would be like pastoring in California and God telling you to go pray for Governor Newsom. This would be like like pastoring up in New York City and God telling you to go pray for de Blasio. Or go over to the governor's mansion and pray for Harry Cuomo. Come on, are y'all with me? Because we're down here in our little bubble in West Tennessee. We're still living pretty safe and secure. God's preparing us for what's coming down the road. Some of us need to wake up and realize that if we don't get it right now, we're not going to have it right then. And Ananias said, Lord, I've heard about Newsom. And Lord, he's had authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on your name. And the Lord said, go to him, go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will shew him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and he entered into the house and he put his hands on his, on him, on his head and he said this. And this is what touched my heart the first time I read it many, many years ago. He put his hands on his head and he said, Brother Saul. Some of us have a hard time looking at somebody we don't agree with and believing they can even be a brother. Let alone calling them a brother. Somebody hearing me right now. 
You got to look like me. You got to think like me. You got to act like me. You got to go where I go. You got to like what I like. Or I can't call you brother. Honey, he was coming to kill Ananias. And Ananias called him brother. I wish somebody would get what the Lord's speaking in this place. Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as if it had been scales, and he received sight forwith and arose and was baptized. And you jump down a few verses later and saved Saul, began to preach. Acts 9.20, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on the name, on his name in Jerusalem? And came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest. I'm not going to read on, but God sent, God sent Barnabas to bring about a connecting. And God's, God opened doors. And y'all know the story of Saul. He wrote half of the New Testament that you're holding in your hand. He's Paul. But what you see here in these few verses of scripture that I read to you was actually the early church's encounter with cancel culture. Cancel culture is something that seems relatively new today. That if you don't agree with somebody, you want to silence them. Silence them in the public arena. Silence them on social media. Cancel them. Silence their voice. Eliminate them. Shut them down. Cancel culture. What you see here was the early church's encounter with cancel culture. And God, are y'all with me? God took the leader of cancel culture. God didn't take him out God brought him in. And some of us are praying, God, would you just take them out? Well, I prayed that prayer. I'll be honest with y'all. If you'll be honest with me, I'll be honest with you. I've prayed imprecatory prayers because they're in the Bible. Imprecatory prayers are, Lord, would you knock my enemy's teeth out? Would you break their kneecaps? Would you make them go childless? Would you let their babies become orphans? There's prayers against your enemies in the scripture. Look them up. Look up the word. Google it. Imprecatory prayers. That's where you pray bad stuff against those that are against you. So I prayed that. I thought it. I prayed it. God, there's so, and I'm not going to name names because we're live here. But there are some people I've talked about them. They've sold their soul to the devil. And they're on public media and they're doing all this stuff and they're spewing vile hatred and they're doing these things from a position of power. And I've actually thought, God, would you just punch them in the face? Would you rip their tongue out of their mouth? God, would you just take them out of here? Don't look at me like that because y'all said worse. And so here we see the early church's encounter with cancel culture and Saul breathing out threatenings and slaughters. And so God did not take him out of the way. God brought him into the way. God said, I'm going to turn your greatest problem into your best asset. Maybe our focus needs to be changed. Maybe instead of 
asking God to remove our problem and eliminate our obstacle and wipe out our enemy. Maybe we ought to be praying, God, turn it into a way for you to be glorified. God, if while Saul is on his way to Damascus to, uh, to bind the people of God and you stop him in his tracks, maybe one day a plane will land at JFK and while you're on the plane, there will be a move of the Holy Ghost that will bring leaders to their knees. God's got a purpose. What God did with Saul is God turned their greatest threat into their greatest asset. God did it for his purpose. And I'm going to start tying this together. This is where we started. Years later, Paul, Paul the man of God, he stands before the king. In Acts chapter 26. In verse 9, Paul is recounting his conversion story, and he said in Acts 26, verse 9, I verily thought within myself, or with myself, that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue. This is Paul's words. And I compelled them to blaspheme. I'm reading this slow because I want you to see what he said. Being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. I caused them to flee their homes. I caused them to run to other places for their lives. I was against the people of God. Whereupon as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against and I said who art thou Lord and he said I am Jesus whom thou persecutest I feel the Holy Ghost telling me to tell somebody something right now instead of focusing on who is in a position of authority it's time for you to begin connecting with who is ultimately in authority because you've allowed political, I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost and receive it as that. Because you've allowed political positions to distract you from the highest of all positions. 
You need to look above this earthly realm and you need to see what's really going on where the king of glory sits in authority. The great and mighty potentate, the king of kings and the lord of lords. Look up above all the mess. Lift up your eyes to the hills. Look up, look up, look up and realize where your help really comes from. If you're waiting on anything other than absolute trust in the king of glory, you're going to come up dissatisfied. Verse 25, Paul said, and I, I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. To make thee a minister and a witness, both of those things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. Delivering thee from the people. And from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto this heavenly vision. But I shewed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea. And then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. The clarity was in those last few verses that I just read. The clarity of this entire message. When Paul is on his way. Anti-Christ. Anti-church. Anti-people of God. He's on his way. And God stopped him in his tracks. And when the Lord said, or when, when he said, who art thou, Lord? He got the revelation of who Jesus was. And then Jesus said, you've got a purpose. And this is not your purpose. I have appeared to thee for this purpose. To make you a minister. To make you a witness of what I have shown you and what I will show you. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, that they will receive forgiveness of sin, that they will receive an inheritance of the sanctified believers. Paul knew what God had done. He knew what God had declared for his life. And Paul looked at the king. And he says, it really doesn't matter what y'all decide to do with me. I've decided that from that moment on, that's the purpose that I'm here for. And from that moment on, Paul was not looking for his purpose and he never became disconnected from his purpose. Paul knew his purpose and Paul stayed true to his purpose. God sent me to bring this word to tell somebody this morning. Okay, guys, it's time to look back over here. It's time to get your eyes off Washington. It's time to get your eyes out of Nashville. It's time to look back over here. This is the great hour for the church. And I need my people to not be distracted. 
I need my people to be aware of their purpose. We're saved and sanctified. My third and final point is the words of Jesus' declaration in John 15, 16. He says, you have chosen me, or you have not chosen me, rather, but I have chosen you. I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. That prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, and we've looked at it a lot here lately. In verse 16, Jesus said, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth and as thou hast sent me into the world even so have I also sent them into the world saints God's purpose for our life is to sanctify us sanctify us by his spirit by his truth when we are born again we believe on the Lord we repent of our sins we take on his name for the remission of our sins in baptism comes into our life he fills us with his spirit that's his promise God sets us apart that's what the word sanctified means it means to be made holy it means to be set apart set apart for a purpose we're sanctified by his truth his word is truth we're sanctified by Jesus himself Jesus is the way the truth and the life it's an Old Testament story. Come on, guys. It's an Old Testament story. The prophet Isaiah, when Isaiah received his call from the Lord, I feel something happening in somebody's place, somebody's life this morning. I don't know exactly why the Lord sent me to bring this word. It's a very simple, simple message. Just pause with me for a moment. But I feel strongly that there are some people in this room that have been distracted. God wants to bring you back to a place of focus. And there are some people in this room that have been discouraged. Discouraged because of what's been done toward you. But there's even more people discouraged over things that you yourself have let happen in your life. Can you even imagine? Can you even imagine how Paul felt when he walked into the first meeting of Jesus' name, believers? Can you imagine how he felt when he walked into the room of believers that just a few days before he had hated them? And he comes in with that feeling of shame because of what he had been. But he brings us a powerful message in Philippians chapter 3 when he says, I had 
to get to the point that I forgot those things which are behind. I had to let go of what I had been. I had to let go of what I had done because I had to step into my purpose. I feel the Holy Ghost driving me to tell somebody here today it's time for you to turn around and kiss your past goodbye and never look at it again and walk straight into the purpose that God has for your life. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost driving me right now. Why don't you just lift your hands to the Lord? Come on, lift your hands to the Lord. Let the Spirit of God speak into your heart right now. In the name of Jesus. All over this room, let's stand. Let's stand. In the name of Jesus. Come on, the Spirit of God is speaking into your life right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Isaiah received this anointing from God on his life. That instead of saying, woe is me or woe is them people, he said, woe is me. I'm undone. I need a touch from God. God touched his mouth. God touched his life. God purged his iniquity. And then Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. Somebody needs to begin moving to this front today and say, I'm stepping into the purpose. Come on. I'm walking into my purpose. Here am I. Come on, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, as you walk toward this front, walk away from what you've been. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? God's telling some. Come on, God's saying walk toward me, and as you walk toward, toward Him, you're walking away from what you had been. It's time to let your past be in the past. And it's time to step into the purpose that God's calling you into. As they sing it, begin moving this way and saying, Here I am. I'm going to receive what God's got for my life. That new touch in Jesus' name.